everyone. You're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegich. Let's talk about Drupal Delphia 2019 that happened recently in Philadelphia. And joining me to give her thoughts on the camp is Tess Flynn, a seasoned guest here on the 107 podcast. At Socket Wench, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. I'm going to have to make you the uh, guest host when I'm out of town. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? We could do one on terrible movies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be actually awesome. We should totally do that. All right. Drupal Delphia. What's in a name? So this is, um, this is the annual Drupal camp in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This year, it was part of something called Philly Tech Week 2019. And you, Tess, were there, uh, representing 10.7. So what do you know about the relationship between Philly Tech Week and Drupal Delphia? Not much, actually. Um, I was so focused on other things during the week, I didn't have any time to really investigate it deeply. Um, but I noticed that some of the other attendees didn't know that either. Oh, so really? at least I was in good company. <laughs> okay. And um, were there any signs around that referred to Philly Tech Week? Or was it Not kind of just insular? Okay. Yeah. I think that it was just part of a longer week-long uh, event. Like some some organizations will have this kind of uh, co-boosting agreement where we'll talk about your event and then you'll talk about our event and it's good for both of us and we don't have any kind of other commonality. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. <laughs> but it is still. good. <laughs> that is good. Have you been to Drupal Delphia before? I have not. This is my first time. It just showed up across my board, and I went, huh, I haven't done that one before. Sure, why not? And we have a great talk that you uh, have produced. And so as a company, we're, we're making sure you get out and tell that to as many people as possible. So it was a good opportunity, I think. It was, uh, it's, it's the first talk that I've been giving in costume, which is hilarious. Right. I heard about this and you talk about it in the, in the, in the, uh, session, in the recording. So tell us about the costume. So the thing is that when you're doing, when you're, when you're traveling, doing air travel, it's always best to only have carry-on luggage because you never know if you're going to have a delay or if your flight's going to get lost or if your luggage is going to get lost or something. So you should only you should restrict yourself to a rollerboard and a backpack. Now I'm an old hat toward business travel, so I'm used to the standard rollerboard backpack modality, but it does limit what you can bring with you when you're traveling. So the main concern for coming up with an outfit is how can I do this so that I minimize the amount of potential luggage space that I take up while still being evocative of the thing that I'm trying to riff on? And after thinking about this for a while, I actually did come up with something that was rather clever. Um, the easiest thing to do was first find a plastic lightsaber, not an electronic lightsaber, not one that lights up, not anything else. The recommendation is that it has to be a lightsaber that's made of plastic that fully collapses into the hilt and has no other electronics. 
Why is this important? Because air travel. Because we don't want to have to pull the lightsaber out and put it on uh, on the scan deck for everyone else to look at. When it's just plastic, <laughs> it's just plastic. Exactly. No one cares about it. That's just put awesome. it in the bag and no one cares. <laughs> Fortunately for me, I found one that was... Um, uh, the Last Jedi branded, but it's actually uh, a model of Luke Skywalker's lightsaber um, that was fully plastic, no electronics, completely collapses into the hilt on Amazon for 10 bucks. And I nice. was sure. And that was really how, as far as I was going to take it, because having a prop and a talk isn't necessarily the worst thing. But then I started getting a little bit ahead of myself and go, well, what else could I do? And it occurred to me that one thing that I could do is I, I should probably do up the outfit a little bit more. And one of the things that I decided I could do to do up the outfit a little bit more is what is one thing that a lot of Jedi have going for them? And so I thought back to all of those hours that I spent watching all of those movies and all of the comics I've read and everything else and go, they have this thing for cloaks, that's it. They have this thing for cloaks and and robe-like things. Well, I can't really do a robe-like thing because that would require a lot more layers in order to do everything. However, the problem is that in order to really be evocative, I still need the, the exterior uh, robe. So I went again to Amazon and I found a $20 brown cloak with a hood that looked pretty darn close to what a Jedi would normally wear. <laughs> and that's all I got. <laughs> and so I am out on stage wearing my normal uh, talk outfit, uh, the infamous skull dress, and wearing this huge black, uh, brown cloak and carrying a plastic lightsaber. It's so and, awesome. And I actually stand in front of my room, making a fool, uh, in front of the, the room I'm giving the talk in uh, before it starts, you know, ushering people in, acting like a complete fool, like everyone going, <laughs> like, what, what am I getting into here? Why is this person in costume? And I'll show up to the camp in costume for the entire camp. <laughs> because it's fun and it's different and it's weird. And one thing that, that is really kind of useful is that this is, this is meant to be a fun thing. It's meant to add more flavor to the talk. And the talk is already kind of, it's full of my style of corny jokes. So there's nothing wrong with me also acting up the corny the entire time. This whole this whole thing about about me acting up the corny actually started in I think 2015 in uh, Drupal Corn where I showed up with a giant inflatable whale because <laughs> my talk oh. was about Docker and I literally yeah. carried that around with me until the to- until the talk started and then I gave it away within the first few minutes so I didn't have to take it back with me. <laughs> I I love how involved you get in your talks and how personal your slides are and the and the comics that are hand drawn and and the characters that you have they just really make a, uh, it a joy to listen to you speak and i'd wondered if because i haven't uh, actually seen you give this talk yet 
Um, I will absolutely be going to it at TC Drupal Camp when you give it. And in my mind, I wasn't sure if it was a black cloak or a brown cloak, but I was pretty sure you went with brown. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you went with brown. I guess the question I have is, did you have a hoodie? Um, I didn't have a hoodie, uh, but the cloak has a hood on it. So like okay. just, just prior to start uh, when I'm outside the room ushering people in, I will put the hood up and start waving the lightsaber around. And usually that's enough to get, uh, let people get the idea of what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, that's really great. Okay. So let's actually stay on this track. Uh, we can, we'll, we'll get to the details of Drupal Delphia in a sec here, but since we've already started talking about your session, uh, let's keep going. So your sessions, Called uh, Return of the Clustering, <laughs> yes. Kubernetes for Drupal, and it's a part of a trilogy, and I'm going to say, I think, first of all, that it's amazing that it's part of a trilogy, so I'd like you to, to kind of just tell us what episode one and episode two are about, and my very technical question thereafter is um, going to be a follow-up of, is this a trilogy of trilogies? But we can get to that in a second here. So let's set up the episode one, episode two part of this. So the whole it's a tr- part of a trilogy thing was actually a bit of a joke on myself. One of the first talks that I started doing outside of Minneapolis was on uh, Ride the Whale Docker for Drupalists. And the idea was to teach people how to build your own Docker-based local development environment and how Docker in general kind of worked. And that was the first start of it. Then the next talk that I gave was um, Avoid Deep Hurting uh, Deployments Beyond Git, which introduced how to build your own continuous integration system using just open source free stuff. Free stuff like Ansible, free stuff like GitLab CI. The idea behind that is that now you have these two different pieces that don't seem related, but become related in this talk. And I kind of sat back and thought about all the talks that I've given over the last few years and realized, oh, geez, I made a trilogy. Oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> and I think that's I, amazing. When, 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 I came, when, that, when that occurred to me, I also knew what the, what the whole theme of the talk was going to be. And because it was a trilogy, I decided, okay, fine, we'll call it Return of the Clustering, and we'll do a whole Return of the Jedi motif, because why not? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so we've set up the trilogy. Now, Return of the Clustering is a wonderful evolution, in my opinion, from your very beginning of trying to figure out how are you going to set, how how the heck are we going to set up Drupal? in an easy Docker container or set of containers locally. It basically fast-forwards to the kind of the real meat of what we're trying to do, and that's run Docker in production, right? Mm-hmm. So, so give us a high-level description of Return of the Clustering. So we first, uh, we first start out with describing, wouldn't it be great if we were, ran Docker in production? And we dissect the various problems with that. There's security problems that come inherent with running a Docker-based workload that you have to be aware of. And most people who just use Docker out of the box might not have ever considered these facts. And it's different than traditional server management because there's a, a, a few different additional factors that come into play with how Docker executes things. You also have to worry about 
how you're going to actually get the workload on to the cluster as well and and how you're going to orchestrate it. One of the biggest problems is it's really easy to stand up Docker on a single server and have that single server run an entire workload of multiple containers. There's nothing wrong with that. You install Docker, you install Compose, you write a Compose file, you stand it up, you do some security things to make sure that everything is loaded correctly, and there you go, you're done. But the problem is that your scaling is only vertical. You can only make your server bigger. You really want to make your scaling horizontal and add more servers. And this makes things very complex because if you have to coordinate multiple Docker hosts together, doing that manually is not fun. And it's not DevOps either. It's not automatable in a very easy way. Fortunately, there are container orchestrators out there that know how to do this for you. So we talk about Docker Swarm and what the advantages and disadvantages of that are, and then we introduce Kubernetes. We talk about how... Uh, Kubernetes model is different. Then we build, a, we architect out a architecture that will run a Drupal site in Kubernetes. And this is actually a subtle point that I keep, ha- I keep having to remind myself and others is that Kubernetes model is so complicated with so many little details and so many different things in it that you really get lost very quickly. And it took me a year to figure out which bits of the Kubernetes model work for Drupal and which bits we don't need to talk about. Once I understood those parts, it was easy to build an architecture from those minimal amounts of pieces. So we review what those pieces are and we describe them. Then we talk about how to technically implement them within Kubernetes and why Kubernetes is kind of nifty through its use of YAML. So what we're going to do is we build all of that out, but now we have another problem, which is if we want to build a dynamic cluster which supports multiple clients, multiple sites, that's a lot of YAML we have to manage. And now we've just introduced a problem that I covered in avoid deep hurting, which is we have introduced humans back into the mix. We need to take the people out of the mix and let the technology handle it for us because it doesn't get tired, it doesn't make typos, it doesn't it doesn't you know need three more coffees in order to get through the day. <laughs> At least not most days. <laughs> <laughs> so we combine Ansible and Kubernetes and Docker to build out an entire cluster in an automated fashion by just changing a few different variables. And we run that on DigitalOcean. Then what we're going to do is we also found huh, we also found out that the problem is to really effectively leverage Kubernetes for Drupal is that you can't just put you know, an Apache container out on Kubernetes and then throw the site on it and then update it in place like you did with traditional server management. It's not really the way that Kubernetes wants to do things. So instead, we end up having to build a custom container that contains the site code already and then run that on Kubernetes directly. And that's a much more cloud-native workflow. And it's a bit of a paradigm shift from what a lot of people are used to. But each one of these pieces works well together to create an effective 
open-source, minimal Kubernetes production cluster for Drupal. I love that it's minimal. I mean, the, you just put what you absolutely need out there. And that's kind of the philosophy, and it reduces your security work, mm-hmm. quite honestly, and it also reduces the attack vector. And so I'm, I'm so glad to have heard this summary about the talk. I hope that people um, go out there and, and uh, watch the recording. Um, and if you have an opportunity to attend TC Drupal Camp or uh, Flyover Camp in Kansas, mm-hmm. you'll be at both of those places giving the talk again. We went through your talk. Let's talk a little bit more about Drupal Delphia 2019. So it, it was one, it's a one-day camp, mm-hmm. and um, it kind of looks like there were six tracks, which is a large number of tracks for a camp. It was surprisingly uh, a surprising amount of things you could do in every time slot. And it feels like the tracks weren't just Drupal, right? I mean, we talked about this with Chris and Dan. Um, it kind of feels like there's this conscious effort in the camps, at least the ones I've been paying attention to recently, uh, to be Drupal and dot, 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 right? Not just about developers and not just about Drupal. So what do you think about that? I think that's really a good strategy, and it's a lot more holistic than we're used to going forward. I think that... Uh, Our industry is still getting used to the idea that there is an internet that we can connect with each other and research things, even though we do it every day. I don't think that the cultural and emotional impact of that has really entirely sunk in. And a lot of events are changing to reflect that attitude that it's not just one piece of technology that we need to deeply investigate anymore. It's now, what? how does this one piece interact with a whole bunch of other pieces? And some of those pieces aren't technology. A lot of those pieces are people. Yeah, the people aspect is so important as well. And I'm, I'm so glad to see those tracks are appearing um, on the local camps. And so one day, six uh, tracks... About five sessions, not about, but five sessions in the day. So about 30 sessions total um, in the whole camp, which sounds about exactly the same as what we're doing in TC Drupal this year on the one day of the camp. I didn't see a keynote on the schedule, an official keynote. I did see intro and outro welcoming and um, welcoming remarks and ending remarks. Um, Is that right? There was no keynote? There was no keynote. There was a... uh a brief intro, um, and then session started. And I think that actually worked fairly well for this camp because I think that the shorter the camps, a keynote is less uh, less effective. And this is a bit of an attitude change because I remember when TC Drupal first didn't have a keynote, and I kind of missed it. I kind of wanted that back because... One thing that was kind of nifty about having a keynote is that it's there to introduce you to the talk and get you excited and get you ready for the day. But for a one-day camp, it's not really that necessary, is it? No. Um, You're already there. You already are invested to do the day. And there doesn't seem to be much of a of a need to really do that. It might be that keynotes are a thing that's are best suited for multi-day events. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking as well. Multi-day events that maybe need higher attendance. And so you almost use the keynote to attract attendees that you hope stay on. So maybe there's a 
a, a, you know, a celebrity or someone who's done a, an awful lot of contribution that has um, the keynote. And I've always thought of that as an attractor, but it almost eats into the day if it's a one-day camp. Yeah, it usually takes like a good hour and a half and you can get a whole entire slot and a break in otherwise. And from an organizer perspective, uh, attracting a keynoter is often very difficult because if you're a keynoter, you usually should compensate them in some way, um, even if it's just paying for paying for lodging and flight. But that can be a bit of a bit of an impediment, especially if you're a smaller event or a less established event. You might not be able to get someone to do a keynote, and I think it's it might just be not as necessary anymore. It might just be better to have everything else. What was also kind of nifty about Drupal Delphia is that they had these uh, these help desks as well. They had. I believe every every time slot they had an accessibility lab, a Drupal and Composer help desk, and a contribution workshop room. And I thought that was spectacular because it allows people to drop out of the sessions and work on other things or get directed help. In a, a Drupal and Composer help desk, I thought that was a brilliant idea because, yeah. wow, Composer. Composer can really, really <laughs> ruin your day. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And so is that how buffs and contributions will handle? They're basically during the whole day and maybe as options um, and alternatives to the sessions that were already scheduled? Is that how it was handled? No, there was also a, a, a distinct boff room, um, but it did share oh, there it was. did share with that particular room, which I think might not have been necessarily the best choice. I think that it would have been a bit better to have a dedicated boff room and then a dedicated like help desk lab room um, because oh. that would allow people to be less interrupted by people who are doing a boff. And sometimes boffs end up being sessions that were submitted but weren't accepted for whatever reason. And those can be kind of distracting. And, and animated. Sometimes you get people who show up in cloaks and sabers in those boff <laughs> sessions too. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it fits in my carry-on. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you had a good time there, Tess. That's um, that's great. So it was on a Friday at the end of the work week, but in the middle of the day. What was attendance like? There was about 250 people who attended. It was actually surprisingly packed. I think this is one thing that I noticed from a lot of a lot of these uh, these one-day events have kind of a side effect that they can concentrate their attendance. A multi-day event actually has kind of the reverse effect. It spreads out the attendance to multiple days and makes it more difficult to actually allocate it, particularly if one of those days is a weekend. If one of those days is yeah. a weekend, a lot of developers, uh, depending on the age bracket, of the of the segment that you're going for, and Drupal is tending to get a little bit more middle aged than it was like ten years ago. Oh, come on! Hey, I'm come on. being honest here. Just, <laughs> just I've been to a lot of events and I've looked at the the age of the people showing up, and it's like, yeah, I'm I'm seeing it. People, I'm, I'm seeing uh, it. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. People are a little wiser, a little grayer. A little more family families are attending. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's true. It's true. And as a result, um, having time on weekends is kind of a 
a difficult call, even a, def- a difficult ethical yeah. call, because some people will do this for work, and now you're asking them to do work on a Saturday. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. That can be a little bit of a difficult call. Whereas if it's a one day event that's during the week, then it's fairly concentrated. And at that point, you know that it's just a work day that's being used. And if this is aligned with your current career, there's nothing wrong with that. And then it doesn't interfere with your weekend and, and that critical amount of recovery time that we all need at the end of a work week. I agree. I agree. I think that it's good for mental health to do it the way that it was done. Um, well, what was the uh, the location of the uh, camp? What was that event space like? Where was it located? I think it was called the uh, Hussian School of Art. I think originally when I when I found it, uh, found the building, I went to the the wrong door, and some very nice. Uh, uh, security people at the door were just like, where are you going? And, and what the hell is Drupal? <laughs> so, I, so I had to give them my, my spiel really quickly. And then they said, oh, oh, you want that? It's probably around the corner. So go down to the end of the block and take a left. It's like, it was really helpful. And then later on, when I went to get some coffee, I passed by there and I found, found a door. Um, but the, the, uh. the, I found a sign there that said that you should... Uh, you should go. You should always go around the corner, so no one else had to repeat what I did in the morning. <laughs> okay, good. So they they acted. That's called iterating, I think. Um, were you were you wearing your cloak at the time that the security guards were giving you directions? <laughs> um, I think that I stuffed it in my bag while I was taking the uh, the cab to the event because my ho- the only hotel I could get was actually right next to the airport. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And so I had to take a cab ride to go into town and I didn't want to seem weirder than I usually am to people. <laughs> so I, I stuffed the whole thing in my backpack and fortunately, you know, a plastic lightsaber and a cloak does not uh require that much space intentionally. We covered that already. So yes, that was kind did. of handy. So successful um, space then you felt? Was there a kind of an atrium or um, a gathering space for everyone yeah, where there, there was, was a, lunch? Or how did that work? There, there was kind of this, this semi-open area. We had the a quick intro in that semi-open area. And then they actually pulled out some, some movable walls to actually enclose that to make another room, which was kind of nifty. Oh. Um, and there was a, a nice little gathering spot where you could see the tables and you could get lunch and you could uh, interact with different vendors that were at the event. So that was all kind of nice. And then, you know, there was a couple couple rooms down some hallways. And yeah, it was it was a nice, cozy space. And I rather liked it. So overall impression of the event then seemingly positive? Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought that was a great event, and I think that more people should go to it. So definitely a candidate for going to next year. Mm -hmm. We'll uh, have to wait and see what the next episode looks like of the series, I guess, and whether there will be a next episode. Well, we'll we'll find out. there might be a case study afterwards where we talk about what we actually oh. did that that might be a little bit more a little bit more interesting to to people than an intro to Kubernetes itself but i think that it's necessary 
You know, that's a great idea to do a case study. I know we're working through actually implementing something live right now. So be taking notes, Tess, because it sounds like you already have an idea for the case study uh, talk. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Again, it's truly been my pleasure to have you on. Tess Flynn is the DevOps engineer here at 10.7, and she was at Drupaldelphia 2019 giving her talk, Return of the Clustering, Kubernetes for Drupal. The slides are online, and a recording of the session itself is available as well. Just visit this episode's webpage for the links. The URL to this episode is t7.io slash ep60. And don't forget, if you'd like a $100 credit towards your new DigitalOcean account, just go to 107.com slash DigitalOcean and follow the link on the page to redeem it. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>